invite you now to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. We're continuing our series on the stories that Jesus told, and he told so many. It's just, it's really fun for me to kind of look through these and, and kind of uh, pick out some ones that I, I think are important for us to consider. And this morning, I want to talk about the parable of the rich man or rich fool, as uh, it's labeled in the NIV. I'd invite you to stand one more time as we open this together. Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to begin with verse 13 reading down through verse 21. Would you hear the word of our Lord? Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Now, may God add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. I'm going to ask you this morning, if someone came up to you as you exited the sanctuary and offered you $10 million on the spot, would you take it? Ooh, wow, that sounds like a great deal. Who wouldn't? That's amazing. But, of course, your second thought would be what? What's the catch? What's the catch? Well, let's say I'll give you $10 million, but you'll only be able to live for 24 hours. But that puts it all in different perspective, doesn't it? And, and if you think about it, almost universally, people say, no way, no way would I take that deal. And the reality is, every one of you has something much more valuable than a considerable amount of money. You have life. You have breath, your heart is beating, your blood is flowing. Do you realize how rich you are? You got up this morning, and by God's grace, you'll get up tomorrow morning too. $10 million, it sounds nice, but it turns out it isn't all that big of a deal. Congratulations, you're rich. And yet, we often don't think of ourselves as rich. Our, our media does a really good job of, of surrounding us with the idea that we should want more than what we have. Sometimes pastors will tell us the same thing. I was watching uh, this pastor. I don't know if you know his name, but it's Pastor Jesse Duplantis. I've seen him over the years. He's on some fake Christian networks from time to time. But there he was bragging to his congregation about how he has the biggest house in the state of Louisiana, 40,000 square feet. He's got two private jets and on and on he would go. And you know, of course, where he got that money 
from people who gave to his quote-unquote ministry because he falsely teaches that they would give, get more money by giving to him. Pretty good scam. Now, the temptation of riches is not a new one. People who truly follow God must always be mindful and can counter repeatedly and intentionally this world's value system. Otherwise, let's face it, we can get sucked in and become more greedy and less sacrificial. We become more earthbound and less heavenly, kingdomly minded. And the only way I know how to counter that propaganda is by a continuous reliance and investigation of the word of God to keep us in touch with eternity and eternal values and one of the ways we do that is to work on generosity so that we can live out what really matters I want you to notice that this morning Jesus introduces us to someone that in a sense we probably already know now we don't know his name in fact, it's interesting, Jesus very rarely actually introduces us to the name of a person in his parables. Jesus simply calls him a rich man. But we should also carefully note that by the end of this parable, God calls this man a fool. So this man comes to us in this parable. He is a fictitious character. But without a doubt, I suspect that Jesus knew such a man. And I suspect that the people listening to Jesus knew a man just like that. In fact, the problem is, or possibly, we probably do too. In fact, if Jesus' parables were made into a movie, it might be necessary to run a line across the screen. Any resemblance between the characters depicted herein of anyone living or dead is purely coincidental. Of course, it isn't all that coincidental. We read this story and we recognize even 21 centuries later, these are real people. These are people we know. Indeed, at times, if we were honest, we would confess that he's talking to me. Now, we should note that Jesus tells this story because one day a man in the crowd asks him to intervene and it's telling what he what the intervention is about it's a sibling rivalry a quarrel going on about the family inheritance i'm fascinated by this request it it probably indicates the endless variety of issues that jesus had to deal with the matters that people brought to him seeking his insight and wisdom his help and influence you know, people came to him with all kinds of problems. And ministries like that, I know that. I can go from shuttling a person from the emergency room at 11.30 at night to helping someone on their budget to praying with someone about a wayward teenager. The, the gamut is very, very large. But Jesus refuses here to intervene in this family argument. But he does take it as an opportunity to warn everyone who's listening and Jesus said watch out be on your guard because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses and then Jesus tells this story the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest now 
think about what we already know. We know the man is already rich, perhaps by inheritance, perhaps by his skill and management, probably a combination of the two. And he is a landowner and in an area of the world where much of the land is filled with rocks and stones. And by the way, the Kushners, we welcome them back. They've been in, in Israel the last couple of weeks, and I'm sure they saw this firsthand. But, but this guy, he had land that farmers dream of. And he has taken what he has been given, and he has produced more, a lot. And by the way, that is not a negative for this man, is it? Some people get good land and they don't produce anything. They waste it. You remember, in fact, Jesus told the parable of the talents. And you remember when they were given talents, uh, two of them went out and they produced more. And Jesus said, enter into the joy of your master. They were commended. But then there was the one servant who had been given a talent and he buried it, and he didn't do anything with it. And you remember what Jesus said to him? He said he was a wicked and lazy servant. Well, that could not be said about this man at all. This man was industrious, and he worked hard, and he, 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 he enjoyed a good harvest. God had blessed him with ground and rain and sunshine and the ability to do work and the knowledge of how to do it. But a good crop, it doesn't just happen. It's hard work. If you ever been on a farm, you know, plow and disc and fertilize and plant and cultivate and, 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 and spray and then harvest. Of course, then you have to risk an investment in equipment. A new preacher, he went to visit one of the farmers in his church, and after seeing the immaculate production of the farm, the preacher said, Brother Brown, the Lord has certainly blessed you with this beautiful farm. And the farmer shot back, Well, you should have seen it when the Lord had it all by himself. Well, this man knew how to make farming pay. And it would have been wrong for this man, gifted with a green thumb and a sense of business acumen to do nothing. He was a dreamer and imaginative, and he was willing to take risks. So let's understand right out of the gate, this problem for this man was not that, that he was lazy. His problem was not that he was rich. Listen, it is not a sin to be rich. Job in the Old Testament was probably the wealthiest man in the entire Bible. And God commended Job, and he said, I've searched all the earth and not found anyone like him. He shuns evil and is upright Abraham he was rich became rich David became rich Solomon had vast wealth so we cannot wrongly assume that the rich man in Luke 12 was wicked because he was rich that wasn't his problem it's not that that money is the root of all evil that's not what the Bible says the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And do you know you can be poor or rich and have that problem? One Christian poet wrote, one should not love money, of that I have no doubt. But I'm just as sure that being poor is no cure. So I'd rather be with 
than be without. Makes sense. So we know that he was rich, and he was steadily getting richer. And this presents a problem. He looked at his prosperity and his overflowing wealth, and he said, what am I going to do? I have no more room to store my crops. And being a bright man, he came to a sensible conclusion. I'll pull down my barns, and I will build larger ones. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> In our world, we call him accomplished. He's living the American dream. It's worked out nicely. Most of us admire him and say, listen, I, I don't want to be rich necessarily. I just want to have enough to be comfortable, right? I, I want to have enough so I, I don't have to worry about paying my bills and enough that I can retire with some sense of security. Have you ever heard anybody say something like that? Well, of course you have, because you've said it. I've said it. That's the American dream. And basically, if you read this passage, that's all this farmer in this parable wanted. Store it up so that he had enough money to enjoy the good life and then quit. We call that man prudent. God calls him a fool. We call him normal. God calls him foolish. We call him a success, and God said, you fool. It, it, it's easy for us to figure out why he thinks he's a success. That is so evident. But what we ought to examine is, what is it exactly that made him a fool? I think it's rather interesting when I read this text in the NIV. I, I spent a little time last week kind of criticizing the New International Version, but, but I need to do so again this week because I want you to note that the, in this passage it says that he will say, I'll say to myself, that's the phrase the NIV uses, but the New American Standard and the English Standard Version, they're much more literal, and I think they bring this out a little more clearly. In fact, the text says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, what's interesting to me, Ben, is that word soul. That's a spiritual word. He's a spiritual man. He's talking to his inner being, his soul, that part that is designed to commune with God, that part of him that is eternal and designed to become like God. In other words, there's a lot of remarkable things about this man. He's not simply that he was smart and that he's rich and he knows how to make more money. He was a person who recognized he had a spiritual side. He understands that there is something more than just the material. He was, in fact, made for the eternal. Now, I think it's interesting. In our day, it's not uncommon for people to say, well, you know, I'm not religious, but I am a spiritual person. You ever heard that? I, I don't read the Bible. I don't go to church. But I am a spiritual person. That's kind of what I'm reading here. I, I, I want you to understand this rich man in Jesus' story considers himself to be a very spiritual 
person. And he would be right at home in our world today. But I want you to notice then how God sees this whole matter. God calls him a fool. Now the Bible defines fool, a fool as a person who says in his heart, there is no God. Now, I must admit, I doubt that this rich man had ever spoken those words from his lips. I doubt you would ever have heard him say, there is no God. But in his heart, he was a practicing atheist. God didn't matter. God didn't, God didn't kind of give him direction. God purposes were not a priority all that mattered to him was making more money building barns accumulating things but the reality is God didn't make any practical difference in his life notice he never says thank you God he's the one who did the work he never considers why did God bless me so much Maybe God had a purpose for, for, for this harvest and, and this prosperity might be for the benefit of something that, that I need to investigate, something in his kingdom to make a difference in the lives of others. So he knew his soul, but he didn't know God. And he didn't know God's heart. That's why we need to be on our guard what he possessed in fact I think had become his God he didn't own his stuff his stuff owned him he worshipped his stuff he put his trust in his stuff that's what's going to give me security my stuff what I've done what I've accomplished he didn't need to trust God but he has his own riches and he trusted in those the bible speaks of the deceitfulness of riches and i want to just talk about the way at least four ways that possessions and riches can deceive us let's go through these very quickly first i would suggest to you that possessions promise happiness but so often they produce discontent there's always this illusion, isn't there, that if you have a little more, then you'd be happy. I want you to notice here, he wasn't content with a full barn. No, I, I need to build a bigger one. A bigger barn, that'll do it. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. That's, by the way, the, the person who loves money can't take it upon themselves to, to give generously. Why is that? Because it literally makes them unhappy to give. Because they know, you know, if I had a little more, I'd be happy. But if I give, I'm going to have a little less. It's a mathematical fact. And if I have a little less, then I'm going to be less happy. That's the thinking. So they never quite get there. They can never quite get there because 
they love their possessions. They love money. Secondly, it promises security, but notice it produces worry. We think enough money means I can kiss my worries goodbye. But you know, the more you have, uh, the more you worry about. There are some of you that aren't worried about the stock market because you don't have any stocks. Notice, notice here, in fact, that this man has more worries than expenses than he had before. He's up all night thinking, what am I going to do with all this? I guess I got to build barns. I got to get a contractor. I got to do this. I got to tear this down. I got this. Is going to take time. My wife's going to be like, "Oh, I wanted this. No, no, no. You need to do that. I need this more. This." In fact, I thought about it. Have you noticed the explosion of storage facilities just here in North Olmsted? No, you haven't. Well, of course you have. They're everywhere. Everywhere. What is that all about? We've got way too much stuff. It's crazy. We, we, we have so much stuff that we need to rent space for our stuff. And we go visit our stuff every once in a while. It's crazy. And we don't give and we can't give because we're paying the rent on the stuff. Someone said everything belongs to the person who wants nothing. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Because think about it, with more stuff, you got more space, more things to fix, more things to keep track of, more things to try to figure out how to use. It doesn't mean your worries are over. Thirdly, possessions promise self-esteem or confidence, but they often produce egotism. Now, we all maybe have an inkling of this. Maybe you've gotten a new car. It's a new car, at least for you. Or maybe you got a new outfit, and, and it looks nice. It boosts your ego. In fact, you, you walk a little taller, maybe for a little while. But the problem, of course, with the new car sin is it wears off. It's inevitable. There's going to be a dent somewhere at some point. Someone else got something newer than you have. You know, that iPhone 14 used to be the big thing, but now it's iPhone 15 or whatever it is. And so you need to get something new to give you that boost. We've all been there. We've all played that game. Notice how many times in this story the rich man uses the word I or my. He speaks 60 words in this parable. 11 of them are personal pronouns, I or my, because his world is about him. He never considers someone else. He's become an egotist, and possessions often lead us there. But fourthly, and this is so subtle, 
but I imagine it to be a hard thing. Possessions promise friendship, but they produce contention. Proverbs 19.6 says, Many curry favor with a ruler, and everyone is a friend of the man who gives gifts. We have that illusion. Man, if I made it, if I won the lottery, oh, how it would be. I'd, I'd be able to you know, help my family, help a few friends. I'd be surrounded with people who love and admire me. But have you ever heard the stories of lottery winners? And how relationships change? And how many lawsuits suddenly develop? The reality is the more possessions we have, the harder it is to trust people because they want to be around you for your money. They want you for what you can give. The harder it is to be genuine. And remember, in fact, the reason this parable is introduced to us is because two brothers who ought to love each other are fighting over the inheritance because wealth so often produces contention my point briefly going through those is you see the reality is that money can be a wonderful servant but it is a terrible God and for this rich man his money and his possessions his stuff had become his God and he was a fool a pastor of another era wrote Certainly a man is a fool if, having made a lot of money, he can think of nothing better to do than to make more money. That's his obsession. He's a fool. Because suddenly that night, Jesus points out his soul was required of him. Turns out his time was up. He may have worked out, he may have eaten the right foods. He was careful not to smoke and drink. But God said, tonight, your life will be demanded from you. And friend, Jesus knew that each one of our lives would come to an end on this earth. He gave up his own life, in fact, so that you could have eternal life with God in the place he has prepared. But he tells his followers, you need to put your trust in me become like me give like me and there you will find joy and contentment so don't concentrate on building bigger barns if you aren't also expanding your heart don't forget God don't forget others in Hiawatha, Kansas, is a strange group of gravestones. You may have heard of it. John Davids was a farmer through the course of his life, and he did really well, and he amassed a large fortune. But he made no friends. He was cantankerous and angry. He had no real family. His wife's family had said that if she married him, she was marrying him beneath her dignity. And so he wanted nothing to do with them either. But when she died, he built a very elaborate statue to her. The sculptor built a statue of then two people sitting on a love seat. He on one side and she was sitting on the other. He liked the view and the point of the statue so much that, this, that, that he built another. 
he, he had a statue of him kneeling at his wife's grave, placing a wreath. Pleased with that, he decided to build another statue, this time with his wife kneeling at his grave, placing a wreath. Then he added wings to her back, signaling that she was an angel. And one idea after another, he spent, uh, uh, and this was way back in the 40s and 50s, a million dollars on these monuments to his wife and himself. And when somebody suggested that maybe he ought to give something away, he said, nobody's done anything for me. I don't owe anybody anything. He died at 92. He lived a long life. Reports say that 10 people attended his funeral, which was actually kind of surprising. But the only person who really experienced a sense of loss was a man named Horace England, the tombstone salesman. And if you go there today, the monuments are sinking in the soil. The main statue of John David's has been decapitated by vandals. Time and neglect have taken their toll. What kind of monument are you leaving? The Bible says this, give generously to lay up treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So where do you want your heart to be? Where do you want your soul this morning? Because none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow. The Bible says that our life appears as a vapor here and then gone. But we don't have to be a fool. We can say, Lord, even if this is my last day, I'm ready to meet you. You have given your life to me. You have given me so much. I'm rich not because of my stuff, but because of what you've given me. I'm rich because I'm yours and you love me. And while I'm here, while I have breath, Lord, use me. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this story which begins to help us put things in perspective and how very easy it is, Lord, to forget. Bring us to this truth that we are rich because we know you. We are rich because we have the Holy Spirit. We are rich because, Lord, you have given us eternal life. But while we are here, Lord, may we use every resource we have so that others might come to know you too. May we not be fools in your eyes. In Jesus' name, amen.